Hi, I'm George Techmanchup here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson, and we're back for another Easton podcast, the number of which Jay knows and I don't. What are we going to talk about? Well, you know, before we started the show, we're like, hey, should we should we just lay out what we're going to talk about or should we just go? That was about two seconds before you came in on introduction. So right. we decided not to talk about what we're going to talk about. We're going to go free form. Yeah. Springtime in the Rockies, baby. Look at that. Look at that green, green yeah, buds on the tree over there. 60 degrees the other day and then it snowed four inches the next day. That's awesome. I was in, yeah. I was in Thailand where... The equivalent temperature on the field, the, you know, the feels like temperature hit 122 degrees. Yeah. Pretty no impressive. Now, actually, you know what? It was quite comfortable for me. I was in an air conditioned, the first and only air conditioned DOS box I've ever been in. I saw you flexing that on social media. Oh, I was, I was a, I was a happy camper. Yeah. That was the best trip to Thailand I've ever had. I got to sit in an air conditioned box for six consecutive days, but it was air conditioned. <laughs> it was great. You know, I never thought of myself as, as being one of those archers that was going to someday become a DOS. <laughs> Director of shooting to those who don't uh, know. Right, yeah. exactly. Which is one step below a judge. Yeah, you really have no... All you do is push a button. Well... Like you start the clock, right? I don't just push a button. You know, I, I'm the multitasking. Right. You know, I was doing the announcing, directing the music... Mm, important part. Yeah. And uh, I mentioned doing the announcing because that was that was really what I was here for. But Sometimes I'm at a tournament and they they have music that actually makes me want to go and commit hostile acts upon the DOS or whoever is also acting as the DJ. Yeah. Like they'll play like very annoying songs that you're going to get the tune stuck in your head. You know, like the song uh, Blue. Like, if anyone plays the song Blue at an archery event, I'm going to turn and shoot an arrow so, at them. So here's the deal. I'm going to fire an arrow through their MacBook. <laughs> at this particular event. Um, so I, I had a local guy do the music because I figured, all right, we're in Thailand. I don't have any you Thai don't know music. What they want. I don't know what they want. And look at me. Do I look like the kind of guy that has the kind of music library that the average Asian shooter is actually going to be interested in? Somebody born in the last, oh, 25 years. I would actually say of anyone here at Easton or anybody listening to the podcast or maybe even anybody in America involved in archery, yes, you would have the most uh, Asian-friendly I'll choose, I'll choose to take this as a compliment, <laughs> but no, you know what, you know what, the guy that played the music, I figured, all right, we'll get some, you know, we'll get some Thai music. We'll get some. No, they play no, American they're, stuff. They're playing freaking. No, you know what he did? He, he went on YouTube and played like continuous tracks of some genre called chill trap or oh, some yeah, chill trap. Right. I don't know what that is. I don't either. But the fact is it sounds, you know, it sounds like dead mouse to me. You know, um, you know Dead Mouse, the the techno guy. No, the Canadian. Never mind. No. Anyway, sounds like Dead Mouse. You know, like like five days of Dead Mouse. When I was in Bangkok, there was a we went to this restaurant um, that I requested after I had already gotten sick. I said, "You got to take me somewhere with pizza, right?" And this place didn't really have pizza, kind of, but it had a guy who was doing Ed Sheeran covers, and he was slaying it. Guy wow. couldn't speak English. Could not speak English. Probably but didn't know the words. Yeah, there was a few words he would just like make up. He would just say like some noises that weren't 
li- the lyrics. Kind of like when I sing karaoke in Japan to Japanese songs. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm singing. You sing karaoke in Japan? No. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, this guy was crushing it. So they're big on American music. I have. I have. And obviously, I have, uh, you know, English music, I'll say. English right. language music. Right. All right. Okay. So a lot to talk about, actually. Before um, we talk about anything else, I must update. say... Uh, there was uh, every time we're in Shanghai for the World Cup, the guy, it must be the same guy there because he plays a lot of like 15 year old country music songs, 15 to 25 year old country music songs. Shania Twain. Yeah. Tim McGraw, Faith Hill stuff. I don't get it. We're, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know. Maybe he thinks that he's like doing all the English speaking people there a service like, oh, oh you sure. speak English. You sure. must, uh, you must listen to Tim McGraw. Right. I don't know. It's really weird. So, you know, I've only ever been to one tournament where the music was just, I am absolutely going to kill somebody if they play one more time the same track over again. It was, I won't say where it was because I might offend somebody, but I will tell you that it was at a world indoor and it was in March and the only music they were playing, and I make this up not, was Christmas music, American music. Christmas music and they're playing it for the entire event yeah I over and over again I, I would have probably went, I would have went up and, and said something I, I think no one maybe said I anything, did probably. maybe I no I, I'm telling you man I, I'm I, I, you know, if I tell you what year this was, then they'll figure out where I'm talking about but anybody that was at that event knows knows what I'm talking about hmm. oh my yeah, and uh, one that sticks out in my mind is Berlin. They were playing a lot of Dave Matthews Band stuff. But no Berlin. I'll bet they weren't playing Berlin in Probably Berlin. Probably not. I don't remember. But I do remember a lot of Dave Matthews Band being played. No, that was Scratch That. It was in Turkey. Oh, Dave Last Matthews. Year. Big on Dave Matthews, whoever. Now, here's what I think was happening. I think uh, one of the ladies from WA, maybe maybe Amy was playing and maybe she's a big Dave Matthews fan. Oh, that could could be. I could see that. I think she's Canadian. She is. Dave Matthews maybe resonates with the Canadians. It might. I don't know. You'd expect that they'd be playing something like the Tragically Hip. Uh, I don't know what that is either. That's a Canadian band. Famous Hmm. one. Hmm. Yeah. One of the cornerstones of Canadian musical culture. Yeah. Rush is one of the others. We're seven minutes. Not far enough to giving people their money's worth so far. Update, uh, it is raining here in Salt Lake City. Yeah. As we speak. And uh, yesterday it was beautiful weather. And tomorrow will be nice again. All right. There's your weather report for the... uh, (laughs) Do we have traffic? Do we have a traffic report to do as well? Probably bad. All right. Moving on. Let's talk about archery a little bit here because that, that is ostensibly the purpose of the podcast, as they call it in France. Um, so you just got back from an ASA. I just got back from the Asia Cup. Uh, you want to go first? Do you want to talk about your ASA experience? Um, and the danger of glance outs on rubber deer? Uh, I really don't have much to say about it, you know. Where was it? ASA. Where was it this time? In, uh, it was in Fort Benning, so. Oh, you know, Georgia, yeah, Alabama line, yeah, um, not far from Foley, really. I mean, not yeah, I mean, terribly I far. Know, three as hours, the crow flies, I don't know. 
Yeah, flew into Atlanta, drove about hour and forty minutes to Columbus, Georgia, and then you're like a thirty five minute drive into the the range every day, which is a bit of a pull. But mm. um, yeah, it's fun. I'm figuring out how to shoot three D pretty well. I did. I had a glance out from twelve ring to five ring. Ouch. Yeah, kept me kept me out of the shoot off, but whatever. But you pounded a lot of That's, twelve rings. Yeah, I shot a lot of twelves. I shot a lot of eights too. So. I'll figure it out. You know, sometimes I do stupid stuff on the course, apparently, but still relatively new. But, uh, yeah, it's – ASA has been pretty fun, I, I must say. I see we're delivering the uh, pro comps. I, I saw a post, uh, social media post by uh, Braden Galantine. He's got his setup going, and he's shooting the pro comp for the uh, season. That's his plan, yeah. Starting he, out. He won versus with him. Oh, just now? Yeah, last week. So, so in Mexico. Yeah, he probably shot like 410 scored arrows or something. It's a lot of arrows he shoot there. Yeah, it's versus, a long tournament. So it is. Like, I mean, you, you open up with 72 in qualification, then the next day you shoot 150 scored. Then I think you do that again, and then you do it like one more time. I don't remember the Gosh, that's specifics. almost like trying to qualify for an American Olympic team yeah, trials. Right? No, not even Olympic team Pan Ams or something. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Oh, that's right. This is the World Championship Trials. Yeah. This isn't even the Olympic Trials yet. No. Wow. Yeah, there. maybe we talk about that. It's an ongoing thing. You mean the uh, fact day. that we've got them going? Yeah, as we speak today, they're they're on day three or four or whatever it is, and, and they're just uh, lots of, I mean, you know, look at it this way. 144 one-arrow shoot-offs where you get off the line, get on the line, you got 20 seconds, shoot your arrow, then get back off the line. The wind was so bad at Ben Avery, Dick Tone told me that the uh, targets blew down one morning and they actually had to stop shooting for a while. I've had that happen to me in Arizona a couple times at ASU when we used to have the Arizona Cup there. And ASU is a lot more sheltered than Ben Avery. I mean, there's no cover at Ben Avery for the wind. So, you know, I mean. On the other hand, I suppose if you've got to select a team to shoot in the Netherlands – Picking a windy place is not the worst idea. Bad conditions minimize talent differences, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. So, I, you know, I listen. I'm not going to put on any airs. When I was a quote top shooter, I was still a grinder. You know what they call in golf, mm -hmm. and I loved it when the wind was blowing because it gave me a better chance against some of the guys that were really honestly good. You know, the J bars and the Rick McKinney's and the you know, guys like that. Right. You know, because, um, you know, I wasn't at that level. I wasn't at their level. But when the wind was blowing, I could hold my own. And, you know, so I considered it to be a bit of an equalizer. Well, that's fine when you're in a competition like that. But the fact is, if you're picking a team, you want the talent. You want your most talented shooters. Absolutely. So, yep. so I don't know if they get to choose what the weather is going to be like. They do get to choose what the what the round is and man they chose a, gr a grueling one yeah i'm i have no opinion or comment no well, i understand i that. don't care the good news <laughs> is brady Olson's doing really well yeah, brady's he's uh, crushing i'm he's healthy again that's what's cool so brady's crushing jack is uh crushing at a level just under brady which is to be expected i mean jack's yep. been up on the rise for a couple of years now and i you know i absolutely expected him to be where he is right now watching him shooting last year so yeah he's talented taking kid. that next step yep uh third through seventh they're only separated by two and a half ranking points which yeah that's not good i don't yeah i don't 
I don't have enough time or you don't have enough patience for me to explain what a ranking point might be, but basically anything can change from three to seven right now. Yeah. And it takes very little. Yeah. Very little. You know, the other thing is, um, you know, what's going on with the women. I mean, Casey is crushing it. Casey is crushing, but the rest of it is, oh boy, you know, I don't know. It's, it's going to be tough for the American team to qualify a full women's team this year, in my opinion. Um, I should say, obviously for the, you know, at the world championship, um, their, their best chance of qualifying an Olympic team is going to be to finish in the, uh, team round at the world championship in the top eight. Mm -hmm. If they don't do it in the top eight, they got to do it in the top 16 and win the first pass. If they don't do that, then they got to finish in the top 24 and win two passes. And that's hard. That can be hard if you're at the bottom of the bracket. They, uh, yeah, the, it's going to be the a challenge. The prospect is tough right now. Casey's shooting really well. Very well. Um, and then the other girls are intermittently shooting well. Yes. But there's not the consistency needed. Except by Casey right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you know, that's that's the situation as it stands right now. You know, the Koreans go through a fairly grueling process as well. And uh, noteworthy, you know, in the last two world championships, Korea, on the compound side, right? I mean, forget about you know, obviously the the recurves are are crushing it, but on the recurve on the compound side, they've won four compound titles in the last two world championships. They just had their trials for the compound team. They have cut the reigning world archery champion, Sung Yun Su. Mm-hmm. The the girl that won the last world championships will not be able to defend her uh her crown. So Kim Yun Hee, who won before San, so four years ago, uh, she is on the team along with uh, So Che Wan and Choi Bo Min, who used to be a recurve top recurve yeah. shooter. And um, so that's you know you that's, see that happen a lot though. It does happen a lot. At Koreans, it seems. I mean, good case in point right now. The guy that won the Rio Games, Kuban Chan, not on the team. He's not even on. Yeah, he's not even on the radar. Right. Right. Saw him in Osaka in January. He was shooting a demonstration round, shooting a high score, you know, not as high as he shot, you know, say at the uh, opening of the uh, World Archery Excellence Center when he crushed it, you know, and and only missed one shot because the lights went out just as he released. Otherwise, he would have had the world record. But, you know, um, not good enough by by what Korea is looking for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he'll be back, no doubt. But um, this is a cyclic yeah. thing with the Koreans. Yeah, look at uh, like Oh Jin Hooks and the uh, Im Dong Hoon's. You know, they disappear, for, disappear for a couple of years. I'm doing air quotes. Yeah, and then they're back on the squad. You know, like Oh is back on the team now. Yep. and yep. it's just what it is. But you know, you want to talk about a long, drawn out process. The Koreans have been shooting their trials for the last couple of weeks, and they don't wrap up until the 11th of April. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we record this on the 2nd of April. So you're talking about a, a thorough process. Kim Woo Jin is the number one uh, qualifier right now in the recurves. And Kang, the destroyer, Chai Young is the uh, top woman. Someday they're going to have a world championship that's open entry. You mean no qualification required? No minimum or no maximum number of participants from a country. So, you know, that's... Because right now where people go, oh, I'm uh, the fifth ranked archer in the world. No, you participate at enough world ranking events to achieve that. But especially on the recurve side, 
you might not be a top 16 guy in Korea. True enough. You know, sad but true. People. So, but you know, I mean, come on, let's face it. If you look at the Olympic Games, okay? Yeah, it's a terrible event. Well, from the perspective of everybody looks at the Olympics and goes, well, everybody at that thing must be the very best. And no, they're the best in their country, which means not necessarily very good. Yeah. And you hear about like these, I mean, you hear the rumors of people who they qualify as their continental qualifier for the Olympiad. Right. But they do not have the minimum score. So then they go and they just shoot a bunch of quote unquote tournaments in their home country. And eventually a judge gets paid off to say that they shot us. I'll be careful about that last score. part. That's that. I will not stand for that last part. You can't say that. And, and, uh, I can, you can I say it, it, but it doesn't happen. I, I don't it believe it. No, I don't think so. When you get someone out there who shot a qualifying score of whatever it, what is it like? 640, 620. I don't know. And then they put out a 550 at the Olympics. Get the hell out of my system. <laughs> I think we'll change the subject now. Now that you're PNG with World Archery for a while. <laughs> Come at me. Yeah, well, whatever. You know, you're, you're, you're getting the unvarnished version of the truth, whatever that may be. Um, so, yeah, ASA, getting back to your 3D experience. Did you see more or less of a turnout for this particular one in the uh, – this this uh, this marked thing you guys are shooting is that growing is it uh i think it's hit its maximum i think it'll start to fall off you think so yeah my thought process is as as more as more of the top level shooters start moving into the asa uh you know like we've seen now stefan hansen's shot a full year and he's shooting extremely well at them uh, Mike Schlosser came to his first one and had a really good day one and a okay day two, just missed the, the shoot off. But, you know, if he comes to five or six of them, gets the hang of it, he's going to be extremely good as well. As you start to get a bunch of those guys showing up and being very competitive, I think some of those guys who are less competitive are going to get a little bit tired of paying that pro entry fee, $300 a whack each time. And they might move back into like a known 50 class or something like uh -huh. that. But so I don't know if the class will grow. I think as you gain people, you'll lose people too. So probably going to hover around 70 to 100 participants depending on the event. reasonably respectable number. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, for the, what it is. The other classes, you know, like the unknown pro is around 30 to 40 guys. Um, senior pro, I think, is is growing a little bit maybe. I don't know. But the events overall, I haven't looked at the attendance for this first two years or first two events, but um, I would assume that they're fairly well attended. Mm. Probably growing, definitely not shrinking. Right. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, um, jumping genre, I uh, just got back from the Asia Cup, the uh, 41st Asia Cup which is a pretty impressive number. Uh, world ranking tournament that took place in Bangkok and um, pretty successful by all measures. You know, one of the great things about that particular event is it is one of the earlier events on the calendar, which is a good thing because it was, you know, it was pretty warm uh, in Bangkok all the time. But uh, particularly as you get, <laughs> as you get a little further along in the season, it gets warmer, of course. And so, um, 
this is a really good time of year for for that particular event. And there's generally a very good a very good turnout. Uh, usually in the past, there's been a lot of uh, shooters from around the world. This time it was exclusively shooters from Asia, but it's essentially an open event because it is a world ranking tournament. So obviously with all the trials processes going on right now in various countries, including in Korea, uh, you didn't see the top Koreans at this event, but you did see quite a few of other uh, countries' top shooters. Um, so, you know, looking at the, uh, looking at the results, we clearly are seeing uh, new talent up and coming out of Asia, in particular in the compounds. Um, it's true that we had um, some of the usual suspects, as it were, for compound men, you know, individually. Um, some of the guys from Iran who've been really good compound shooters in the past are, are still up there. Uh, but again, some new names. And uh, on the recurve side, especially China, for example, with a whole bunch of uh, of new kids basically coming in and shooting at a very high level. So the Chinese uh, girls recurve women's team and the boys on the recurve men's team, they both took the gold medals respectively in the uh, in the team event. The mixed team went to India. China took took a bronze there. India with all new shooters, you know, bringing in new upcoming talent, um, some of whom shot real well in qualification and then literally kind of blew a gasket when it came to head-to-head. So that's clearly a matter of experience. And um, some of these people are scoring at levels that, quite frankly, could make them threats um, going into the World Championship and into the Olympic Games. I mean, it's absolutely a possibility that you're going to see a podium literally from places like Bangladesh. Um, it's, it's entirely possible, especially with a mixed team format. Um, and the coaching level that they've got, you know, when they've got uh, uh, Martin Frederick and people like that coaching them, you're looking at a very potentially high-performance team just coming out of Bangladesh as an example. So, you know, this uh, Asia Cup is a very good bellwether for what's going to happen in Asia. And, of course, you know, with the Olympic Games in Asia, the, uh, the pressure is on every country to try to uh, have the very best team they can send to Tokyo and, uh, and have that going. Test event in Tokyo is scheduled for July, so that'll be a very, you know, actually, if you think about it from a certain point of view, Bangkok was a good simulation for the weather mm. that'll be in Tokyo in July because the feels-like temperature was 120 Fahrenheit on the, on the field of play a couple of days. And uh, Tokyo, I can tell you from personal experience, having shot there many times in the month of July, uh, that is going to be a roaster. That is going to be very warm. Um, so, so I see this guy from Bangladesh shot six eighty one, pretty solid. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, they're they're capable. So, hmm. you know, did you see that guy from Thailand who shoots compound who looks like Manny Pacquiao? Yes. <laughs> did you see his motorcycle? No, I did not. Of course, he's got a cool motorcycle. Really? Too. Yeah. Well, there you go. He's he's cool. You know what I saw? You know, we we just implemented um, filtering for motorcycles here in Utah. I don't know what that means. It means that when traffic's at a stop, motorcycles can, can maneuver between the, the cars and yeah. go up to the front of the line so you don't get hit from behind and killed by a Silverado. <clears throat> like uh, like has happened a thousand times in the last 10 years. I'm Easy. Not, You're going to have GMC after you. Okay, not from Silverado. GM. I don't know. Would I be more afraid of GM or World Archery coming after me for making a statement like, <laughs> probably GM. You're probably right. I, I am literally not afraid of anybody at World Archery. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But anyway, um, 
the 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 reason I brought it up is because I saw something that would absolutely preclude a car from ever messing with you if you were either filtering or lane splitting like they do in California and just about every other civilized country in the world. It was a guy with two full propane bottles strapped to the back of his bike. I think, yeah, you sent me a picture of that. I might have something. done that, yeah. I'm thinking to myself, people are going to steer clear of this fella because there's no way somebody wants to you know, get tangled up with something like that. But uh, I wish I'd had a faster you know, camera button going on. You know, my, my, my iPhone foo were a little better because on my way to the airport, I saw a motorcycle loaded down with a 10-foot diameter pile of flowers, bundles of flowers. And I'm not exaggerating about the size. This thing was maneuvering in a way that I couldn't believe. Hmm. Unbelievable what people do to, to get transport in some places. And, and this, was, this was one of those. So that's what happens when we go down the rabbit hole, folks. We, all you did was mention motorcycle and look what happened. Yeah. Where do we stand with, uh, where do we stand with uh, your tournament schedule? Where are you headed? I don't know. Arizona Cup this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yay. Get ready for some wind. Yay. Yeah, it doesn't look typically, uh, or uh, excuse me, it doesn't look particularly appealing. But uh, well, it's always the I think of it as the American opener, right? I mean, it's it's the yeah. first American outdoor tournament of the year. Yeah, see how ready I am. I don't know. Shot really well in practice, but I am not in love with anything on the setup. So I'm going to go and I've I've blocked out all night tonight to just. I'm probably going to set up a new bow. Start fresh, see what we've got. Well, talk us through so, your setup. What do you got going on? I don't know yet. What do you think you're? <laughs> uh, what do you think you're planning to do for uh, stabilizers, for example? Uh, well, I'm going to shoot the Halcyons, which they feel felt pretty good about. I shot yesterday in some decent wind, and I thought, hey, this is an improvement over what over the Z Flex. Over the Z Flex, yeah. got to be. I mean, it's a simple matter of physics. I yeah. was kind of not expecting it to be super noticeable, but I felt like it was. Now, you haven't been shooting the Contour CSs because they weren't quite as stiff, right? No. And the Halcyon is stiffer. So um, presumably that's the feel you're looking for. Yeah. So had that. Pro comp or pro tour? I don't know on that yet. I'm I'm fletching up some pro comps tonight, and I'm going to shoot them a little bit. You're going to try to set up two bows and go side by side? Or, I mean, what's your process for – Right now, I've got one that I know is shooting pretty good, right? But I'm not like I'm not like super crazy about it. There's a few things I need to adjust, but by making those adjustments, I might as well start anew. You consider that got, to be your baseline bow right now? Yeah. So I've got another bow ready to rock. So I'm going to throw. Well, I mean, not ready to rock. It's sitting, you know, untouched. So I am going to build it. Hoyt Prevail is that what that yep, is? Yep. Prevail Forty. Man, I saw a lot of those at that uh, at that tournament. They stand out because, you know, when you're looking down the line, you see that that sort of gray cam module thing that they've got going on. That would be on like the uh, the other cam, the X3 cam, maybe. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's like it's got to be the most popular target bow in the world. Yeah. By quite a bit. I would seems imagine. that way. But anyhow, yeah, I'll build one of those up, get everything. Hopefully dialed in and, and see how I like it. Just little things, you know, you go from bow to bow, different set of strings, just those little changes can can make a bit of a difference to where you 
feel a little, you know, change in let off or whatever it is, just perception. But see if we get one I really feel good about. I'm not, I'm not totally dialed in on anything. And I think it's just because I haven't spent enough time shooting outdoors. Whenever you go indoors to outdoors, you feel the, like the bow is completely different. You know? Yeah. You're aiming at a different angle. The bow has a lot more uh, feel to it because of the fact that you're shooting a 400 grain arrow instead of a 700 grain arrow. And it just takes some time to get accustomed to it. And usually Arizona cup is, is a good place to do that. You go and, you know, well, you're going to get all kinds of conditions at Arizona cup. You're going to get some calm. You're going to get some wind. Yeah. You know, you're looking at, uh, a number of, uh, opportunities, shall we say to, to test things in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got to say, there's also that pressure factor. I mean, it's one thing to shoot stuff in practice. And honestly, I think there's another factor and that is, you know, just the pressure of competition. Sometimes stuff, you know, just comes together differently. And, uh, I think that being able to test it, you know, at a relatively accessible tournament like Arizona cup is a really positive thing. Yeah. And everything is, uh, Everything is so visual, you know, in terms of how I am shooting. So when I'm seeing the target a certain way, and now I'm seeing it like like you do indoor, and now I'm seeing it a lot different, I have to grow accustomed to, you know, looking at an outdoor target face, aiming in wind again. It's all, you have to come back to it every year. It's easy to go to indoors and, and start shooting indoors. It's very difficult to get comfortable shooting outdoors after a long indoor so season. So that raises an interesting question. You know, I mean, with, with recurve, you know, um, when we go from indoors to outdoors, the biggest difference is the feel of the angle of your bow arm. Mm-hmm. And there is actually a minute difference in your draw length because of that, which affects your clicker timing slightly. Would affect your uh, theoretical peep height as well. Okay. So for you guys. Right. I mean, up within reason. I don't know that would matter that much. Eh, it but. depends on whether you're using a ledge on your tab and all that stuff. But but fundamentally, it, it is affecting things like, I see what you're saying. I mean, you know, you're talking about the diff, the distance from your eye to your aperture and the uh, effect that has on the relative uh, sight setting. But I'm getting at something more, you know, fundamental, which is the, the actual change you know, is something that some people, I never had trouble with this, but a lot of people I noticed do, um, you know, changing. And, you know, by the way, I think shooting field archery helps you a ton with this. But some people's, their timing goes to heck because they've got a problem with draw length effectively being a little different because they're raising their bow arm. And they didn't figure yeah. on that. Right. So, so I, my, the reason I bring it up is, is that also a issue with compound at all do you have any issues with uh timing on your release because of that i i can't see how that would be because i mean everything changes to a point you know because you're now having to get accustomed to shooting in the wind which does more for your shot timing does more to change your but but specifically about the elevation that doesn't change it i don't know someone's probably affected by it but i would if that's enough to bother me then Good luck being a good field shooter. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> again, I think, you know, shooting field is one of those things that solves other stuff, and this is one of those things. Yeah. 
Because once you've learned to shoot field, especially uphills and downhills, mm-hmm. things like this become completely irrelevant. You yeah. learn how to set things. Yeah, and you do hear people say, oh, I like aiming at the top or bottom or whatever. Yeah, whatever. And you should, by the time you're through with, you know, a couple ends of practice, you should be accustomed to whatever you're aiming at. Uh, you know, me personally, indoors, I like shooting at the top better because it's level for me. It's even with my eyes. Well, that's because you're six foot 12. I yeah. mean, you know, so <laughs> I, I try to start on the bottom just so I get a couple practice ends there, but it's not like I am a different person from, you know, aiming two degrees down or two degrees up. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I'm, I'm just looking at this, you know, uh, situation where people are complaining, you know, when they, when they do this transition and, you know, frequently yeah, it's significant for recurve. Yeah, well, but it isn't because once you've learned to deal with this, just maintain your bow arm tension properly. And mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, I mean, this is not hard. This is not rocket surgery. No, I think the hardest part is just getting accustomed to shooting in the wind, which tires you out. You're probably aiming longer. Uh, you're shooting six arrow ends, which we've been shooting predominantly three arrow ends. Mm-hmm. So you're walking further, and yeah, um, like yesterday or, or the first day I shot outdoors was basically Saturday, and I was, you know, I could feel my my bow arm getting a little fatigued. I also hadn't really been shooting a lot. You know, you go to a 3D and you shoot 40 to 45 arrows, maybe another 40 to 45 in practice. It's not a high volume thing, but um, so I, I was feeling that a little bit on Saturday and then I came out yesterday and it was like, I was fine. You know, I could, I was shooting 10 arrow ends, no trouble whatsoever. So mm-hmm. a little bit of conditioning to the environment seems to go a long way. And maybe for others, that's, I don't know, harder. I don't know. Maybe other people step in they're like, well, I shoot a ton of arrows every day anyway, so I'm not concerned, but. It's a slow game anyways. You know, we're going to go to Arizona Cup. The, I almost stopped myself from saying this, but I'm just going to say it. The recurve women are going to take forever to pull arrows and come back. So we got four four minutes to shoot our arrows, four minutes waiting on the other group to shoot your arrows, and then about uh, five minutes waiting on everyone to score and pull. Yeah, so, well, you know, I mean, back in my day, <laughs> we used to complain about the compounds taking forever to score. Yeah. That's because you guys had to take your shoes off to be able to count above 10. Not a problem for us. Fair enough. <laughs> I can like pick out the women who are going to be. It's the same offenders every time. Every time. And it's think, usually a social thing. It's I, not that they're having trouble with the math or slow walking. They're, they're talking on the way down, during the scoring, and on the way back. I'm not sure that's a bad thing. I mean, you know. They're, it's not a bad thing other than when you're, it's like you got that one minute of calm. You're in Arizona and you're like, hey, it's calm. Get you back to the line so we can shoot a little bit. Before it's over. Yeah. Before the wind minutes, starts 50, howling again. Nine seconds, Jay needs to leap. Um, yeah, you're like, come on, get back to the line. I'm ready to go. If oh, are, are you going to actually have us edit that out? I think he should just bleep it. Bleep. I think it'd be funny. Bleep what you said about yeah. that particular category of shooter? No, about when I said the, the bad word. I didn't hear it. Oh. I missed it. It must have just floated over me. My point is, it's a long enough round. If you can shoot your 72 arrows at home on your own pace, you know, like shoot, pull, shoot, pull, no rest between, you'd be fine at a tournament. So what are you doing for the Masters tournament? 
that's the thing. Normally, it's the week we're in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So, in Arizona, not hard to find some places to watch golf. Yeah, Everybody like a sports golfs. bar or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, in fact, the best Arizona Cup I ever had, um, we were in an Airbnb. Crystal Govan sourced it, and uh, her husband Rich golfs, and I golf with him a little bit. And we watched it there at the house, right? It was like five or six of us, and right. we were watching it at the house. So that was cool. Uh, this year I'll be in Yankton. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm not sure if Fox Run Golf Club, you know, has a uh, like a viewing party or anything. I don't know. I'll bet you can create one. Yeah, I don't know if it'll be happening. What's in Yankton? There is a golf course. There's two. No, 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 no. Why are you in Yankton? Oh, uh, the Dakota Classic. Oh, the Dakota yeah. Classic. The yeah. uh, the first NFAA outdoor of the year, if I'm not mistaken. It's an outdoor event shot inside. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> Aren't there some categories that do shoot that outside? Um, yes. Isn't the that how that works? Class. Yeah. If you're not top flight, you you shoot outside. You get relegated to the outdoors. And I'm not sure it's that way anymore because now there's a little schedule change. So I don't know anymore. And it's a big facility indoors. Yeah. Now they have the other side too. So I don't think anybody has to go outside. Okay. So outdoor archery shot inside. Well, this close to springtime, who knows what the weather could be like there. You could have anything. Yeah. It's always best to not shoot outside in Yankton. Yes. It's either super windy or super buggy or super muggy. And right now it's probably flooded down in the field courses. So Could be. Yeah, big flooding. Well, I, I know for sure it was. I'm assuming it still is. So recently it was. Yeah, like the, the whole course, like you get down into the bottom, which the bottom is maybe like five feet below the top. And it's uh, it was underwater. I've heard they do a cracking job of restoring that course every time it gets flooded. Yeah, out. I think it's, you know, that area of the world, I think the soil is meant for it. Well, it's a giant flood control basin right. area there, isn't it? I mean, yeah. they have that giant dam with the, the, the great bow fishing that uh, goes on down there and all that. Yeah, it's... I remember watching Brady Ellison carp after carp after carp. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. That almost, like, I did it one time. It got boring. Mm-hmm. Like, you get tired of pulling fish off an arrow. I, I guess the uh, <laughs> the only thing is you only have a moment. I mean, literally just a moment yeah. to shoot the fish. And uh, yeah. you got to make sure you're not shooting a particular kind of fish. Right. Uh, is it a paddle fish? Or I can't remember. Paddle what fish is, there you go. yeah. And you don't want to shoot one of those. But yeah, for our listeners who are uh, opposed to the killing of animals it's fish they're, it's basically very invasive species too. it's a sophisticated vegetable it's a good way of putting of describing fish come on it's fish. they're not game fish either they're invasive species right so. right so you're actually doing the environment a favor yeah you know you're decreasing global warming by killing carp this is true uh-huh okay. it's not called global warming anymore oh i'm it's sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry climate change and now I've heard it being referred to as the climate crisis. People still didn't feel that climate change was enough of a uh, scary word. So now they're, they're calling it climate crisis. So I, like the alliter- I like the alliterative. I can't say that word very well. I like how that flows. The alliteration. The of alliteration climate of climate crisis. It's, you know. You could think of it as a climate control crisis. I heard that this morning on the radio. So I am now going to describe 
anything that I feel needs to see change in our workplace as a crisis. Uh huh. So people are probably in my office. It's a clutter crisis. Yeah. People right now are probably thinking that this podcast is in a crisis. It's a podcast crisis. Yeah. Like this podcast needs to be altered and abolished. Let me just, as an aside, you know, since we normally make observations from our sweeping view of the parking lot from the legacy room here, that the 3d target over there, the, the McKenzie to that is undisputably the cutest 3D target in existence. Yeah, it's being referred to as the anteater on the tour. The anteater? Yeah. It's not an anteater. Looks like an anteater. It's a tapir. Right. Everyone calls it the taper or the anteater. Huh. So the one problem with it, I shot at the 14 ring. Sometimes when you're like like the ASAs, the shoot-offs, the known class goes last, right? Hmm. So your hope is someone has put a few arrows in or around the 14 rings you want to shoot at. So, maybe, so define maybe it. get a little arrow hole there. Uh-huh. Yeah, and this one being white, if there's an arrow goes in, sometimes you get that little tiny little black mark or it just kind of darkens a little bit. But uh, that 14 ring is kind of out in no man's land. It's way out there. You don't have a reference point for it. If no one has shot it, no. And that other one, that howling wolf. In the shoot-off I made it fully, we were in this indoor arena, and the lighting was whatever it was, basically made that howling wolf look like a brown blanket just draped up in the air. So I was shooting at all the 14s, because that's what I do in ASA shoot-offs, and I couldn't see where it was. So I was... (laughs) I'm not laughing at what you just said. I I am, but... (laughs) It's just how you said it. That's so all. I was aiming off of a banner behind it. I thought, like, I can't see a thing on this thing. So I just went off of, there was a Hoyt banner in the background. So I went, okay, I think it's about a third of the way through the Y and about a third of the way down the body. So that was how I aimed at it. And I missed like two inches to the right, but whatever. We're 42 minutes of archery goodness into the podcast. There's no goodness in this podcast as good as you're going to get. Yeah. Maybe we need to create, uh, like show segments, you know, like some shows they do like, Hey, it's time for the blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like the grand tour. You've seen the grand tour. Nope. Oh, well, the grand tour is the, the guys who used to be on top gear. Have you ever huh. seen top gear? No, not really. Like so, I, I, get I bet they, you, I, I know you're not a big car guy, but if you were, even if you weren't, I, I you'd enjoy top gear. I'm not with not its a original car guy. I know. I'm just saying, you know, you don't have to be a, a car guy mm-hmm. to enjoy top gear. Top gear was on history channel, right? No. Top gear was on the BBC. BBC. Yeah. And, uh, it was Jeremy Clarkson is now with the grand tour, Jeremy Clarkson. And, um, James May. What channel are they on now? Now they're on Amazon Prime. The Grand Tour. See? I see a lot of this happening. There's a reason I'm bringing this up, but I can't remember it now because I totally got... Totally got sidetracked and I'm I'm totally jet lagged. We ruined it. But there was a reason I brought it up. Something about how our show Oh, segments. Segments. Yeah. So, you know, they have segments. Um, They used to have something called Celebrity Brain Crash, for example. And... Now they've got a thing they call Conversation Street. And on Conversation Street, they bring up something topical involving the industry of automobiles. 
Okay. So we could bring up, you know, we could have our own version of Conversation Street where we talk about, well, actually the whole podcast is Conversation Street, but we could talk about, you know, a specific thing. This like, is the, today's topic. Blah, today's blah, topic. Blah. Rules we don't like in the sport of archery or the fact that I personally don't believe electronics belong on any bow oh, in competition. we were going to talk about that actually. Yes, I'm bringing it up now. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's do. Because I think we may have diff- diverging points of view on this. Maybe. I don't believe electronics of any kind, lights, mm-hmm. sensors, pressure sensors, uh, aiming devices, any of that stuff. Aiming devices? Like any sight? You can't have a sight at all? Electronic ones. Electronic ones. Like a light on like the a sight? Light on a, a light on a sight, a laser, a uh, reflex sight, you know, where a dot gets projected onto glass. Mm-hmm. Anything electronics. I don't think that stuff belongs on bows. Why not? Well, because I think you've got to draw a line somewhere. And I think when you don't draw a line somewhere, you end up with stuff like that, re- that like that release that Jerry made about 15 years ago that had a solenoid and a, and a, and a, you know, it kind of went off on its own on a random timer. Oh, the electron. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Carter X. Right. Rather, yeah. Whatever it was, you know, hmm. I don't think that stuff belongs in the sport. I'm drawing a line, drawing a line in the sand as it were. See, and I don't feel like recurves should have clickers on their bows. Well, the clicker is just another device. Kind of like that electronic piece is just it's not electronic. Device. Not electronic. They sure. don't allow. They don't allow prisms. They don't allow uh, mirrors on bows. But what's the difference in whether it's electronic or optical? Mechanical. Well, they made it. They drew a line in the sand. They. They. I'll give you an example. There used to be an electronic clicker. Okay, and it had a sensor, and it would set off a green light when your point was at full draw mm-hmm. so that you'd see that green light and release. And you know what? It worked really well. Mm-hmm. Well, they drew a line in the sand. No electronics. Okay. Why? Can't have it. Because somewhere along the line, you've got to say stop. Somewhere along the line, you've got to say you are you are pushing this thing past the point where it's still the fundamental sport. See, but if you go read any, go watch a world archery video on YouTube. Scroll down to the comments and you'll see some <laughs> who thinks, hold on, 46 minutes, 47 seconds. I think you can get away with that on iTunes. You'll see some dude who thinks that even the Olympic recurves are a travesty. Oh, to I archery. know. Because they think everything should be like that that Norwegian guy. They all, yeah. So whatever his name is, Dutch guy. What is he? Where is he from? I don't know, and I don't care. Whatever. You know what I'm talking about. He's probably from a social country. Whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the point is, yeah, somewhere. they think we should be shooting freaking Hungarian horse bows. Or yeah. Whatever. You're never going to make everybody happy because, you know, some Mongol looked at the first composite bow and went, well, that's that's too advanced. It's got horn and sinew. Mm-hmm. That should be just one stick. Mm-hmm. Okay, but we did draw a line. Eventually, mm-hmm. we drew a line. We have drawn a line. It's called recurve. And then you go to compound and anything should go. No, I, I disagree. Why not? I think you should have limits on arrow diameter. Okay. I think the 23 arrow diameter is actually fine because it accommodates spine values, etc. But, you know, I mean, there's a reason for it. It's because a compound guy tried to shoot 20 millimeter arrows at the 1995 World Indoor, mm-hmm. which took out the 10 ring with every shot. 
I think that's sweet. And damage the target butt. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I think you've got to have limits because there's always going to be people trying to push things. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, you know, uh, on the engineering side here, every year at Easton, we get some guy who's like, hey, I have a new invention. It's a gas-propelled arrow or it's a uh, compressed air-propelled arrow or it's a uh, pyrotechnically launched arrow or it's a, you know, it's an arrow with a rail. It's a bow and arrow system with a rail. Well, I call that a crossbow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean... Somewhere you got to draw the line and say, this is an archery. Mm. So I object to the idea of more electronics or electronics at all on bows, strictly because we need a line in the sand and that crosses it in my mind. And in world archery's mind too. Yeah, but world archery is one body of archery. True, but it's the biggest one in the world. Maybe. Well, we know how many members it has. That's because there's no other type of archery in those parts of the world. Well, exactly. Look at the most well-attended tournaments. Well, the most well-attended tournaments are arguably 3D tournaments. Or I would say NASP tournaments if you really want to get down to brass tacks. That's... I know. I'm just we're saying. We're not going no, there. We're not going there, but you're at, you, if you're yeah. just using attendance as your criterion for what's... You know, the most well-attended archery tournaments in the archery that you and I and our listeners recognize as archery. 3D. 3D or Vegas. Vegas, for or sure. Or NFA indoor. So let's go with NFAA and ASA events. Those are the most well-attended events. In the United States. In the world. Which is one out of 156 world archery countries. In the world, they're the most well-attended. Uh, you got some tournaments that are starting to get pretty big in some other places, though. But like what? Well, the Osaka Indoor that I was at had more than 1,400 shooters. All right. The shooters uh, that attend some of the tournaments in in some of the other uh, world archery countries like France, you start getting some pretty big numbers in Nîmes, as an example. Yeah, you, you know? get like 1,100 people at Nîmes. Yeah, something like that. Right. You know? So we'll let world archery have their no electronics, and we'll let the rest of the world do what they want. Well, I think that's a very American-centric point of view. I'm in America. I am the center of my universe. True enough. So <laughs> I'm trying to take a more Copernican view of the universe mm-hmm. personally. <clears throat> now, you know what? I've been using the Sweet Spot Pro, which is uh, essentially like a clicker, an electronic clicker is essentially how it works. Right. So I do have the lights in my scope that it's green if it's good. It's red if I'm pulling too hard and it goes off if I'm not pulling enough. Occasionally, like I'll click my release and it'll go from green to off and then it goes right back to green and it has never turned red. So I apparently don't ever pull too hard and then I can actually check my shot values. Now, there's no, I don't know exactly what, you know, each number represents in terms of like poundage I'm pulling or what metric, but. I think I set it to where my, you know, I set my optimal shot after shooting a few shots and it's like a 750 and virtually all my shots break within five points of that. There's other guys who their optimal number is like 320 and they'll have like a 20 point spread on either side. And I don't know what that means is because theirs is a lower number. Does that mean it, uh, each number is a greater value that I don't know yet. I'd have to put it on a load cell and figure out. But, but isn't it a lo- it is a load cell, right? Some some sort. Yeah, it's measuring a load. So but so here's the thing. I think I that's a fantastic training device. 
I think that is a fantastic training device. Mm -hmm. I think it absolutely has a place as a training device, especially when you're talking about a back tension release type mechanism, right? right? I don't think it belongs to competition, personally. I could understand someone saying that. Um, I think it isn't, it doesn't. I mean, do you really need a light to tell you when you're ready to shoot? No, because I have never really come off the light. So, so you're doing it right. There are people who probably would benefit from shooting that in competition. I don't feel like it's provided. It's been advantageous for me in competition. I use it as a sight light for 3d. It also has, you know, as soon as I start pulling that sight light kicks on lights up my fiber and I like, I think it is an excellent training device. If someone said, Hey, those are going to be illegal in competition. It would be no skin off my chin, but at the same time, why make them illegal? I have yet to, I have yet to been beat by someone and go, darn it. They beat me because they had that line in the sand. That's the only reason. Yeah. I'm fine with it though. In compound class. And clearly a lot of guys are, a lot of guys are fine with it. Yeah. No one's complaining. You know, no one in the compound category cares about electronics. I think everybody would be fine if world archery said, Hey, sight lights are legal. Okay, cool. Cause all it's doing is allowing a guy to use a blue fiber, which a lot of guys like blue fiber, you know, for one guy to be able to actually, especially older archers, for them to be able to actually see their reticle, I'm fine with that. I don't care. Yeah. I, I guess the issue is that once they open the door to electronics, you open the door to all kinds of other stuff that we haven't anticipated. That's the issue. Yeah. I mean, at some point, it you, does. See, your line in the sand is here, and I'm mine is here. I'm doing a line in the sand that's further than George's. And... I've yet to feel like there's an electronic device that is providing a shooting advantage to anybody. Training, feedback, yes. Um, you know, uh, creating function for certain types of sight pins or whatever, yes, those exist. I don't feel like any of them are advantageous because if I wanted to, I would just use them. So back in the 90s, um when I was working at Easton Van Nuys, I developed a recurve limb that ostensibly would have been uh, built by Hoyt because we, you know, we own Hoyt. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that recurve limb contained a uh, piezoelectric damper, uh, basically a mechanism by which you put pressure on a material that's built into the limb, creates an electrical current. You shunt the current through a shunt to dissipate the uh, current, and it actually would kill vibration very quickly. You do what through a what? You'd run the current through a shunt, which is an electronic circuit that is meant to dissipate the electricity. That's one of those words you want to say very clearly. (laughs) Especially in (laughs) Scotland. Anyway. (laughs) What would that do? It would cause the vibration to die instantaneously on the shot. And and it worked quite well. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a new idea. K2 had been doing this on skis for, for a while, you know, but, um, so, you know, I, I, I'd worked with the company that developed the technology and we, you know, we built some limbs and tested them and they worked quite well. Mm -hmm. Why did we not do it? Well, again, line in the sand, didn't want to do something with electronics in it. Yeah. Didn't want to cause that issue in the marketplace. Didn't want to cause that issue with world archery, which (laughs) 
you know, at the time was FIDA and, um, you know, kind of chose not to do it because it was the right thing not to try to push that aspect of things. So there was uh, my brother, he's an electrical engineer, very smart guy. And he was starting to poke around, ask me questions about gyroscopes, you know? Yeah, that's where I was going to, I was going to bring that up too. And, and I said, you know, I think you could probably develop something that, you know, his thought was you'd get on target, you'd press a button, the gyroscope would activate and it would hopefully help you stay on target. Obviously not an easy thing to develop, but he was wanting to look into it. And I said, I think the second that comes to market, if I was able to actually get it to a tournament and shoot it, it would be deemed illegal about one second later. You know, it'd be like a, it would be like a uh, NFAA tournament and Bruce would just make the rule yeah. on the spot. He right. wouldn't have to go through World Archery Congress and do the rules over a year and then implement them one year later. And that's what I like. You know, I don't like where things take forever. To so you like a benevolent things. dictator. Yeah. You like I don't it. like one of my favorite things about an ASA event. I was at an ASA, my first one ever. And I was shooting known 50 class before they had known pro. And we were sharing the range with known 45 and they realized this was a problem because known 45 only shoots out to 45 yards and known 50 shoots to 50. So Mike Terrell, the another the benevolent ASA, dictator. Yeah. Awesome guy. Uh, he came out and he goes, no 45 guys, you're gonna be shooting 50 yards today. Good luck. And he walked away and I was like, yes, that's how you solve that problem. Because if it had been USA archery and we had a problem, there would have been a two and a half hour delay figuring out what we should do. They would call the board of directors. There'd be, uh, those people who are like determined or, uh, they're predetermined at a tournament as like the, the ones who will be on the council of, you know, Asgard to you, determine you, if something is legal or should be changed. Asgard? Yes. <laughs> Isn't that where Tor comes from? That's uh, I think it's a Lord of the Rings thing, Asgard. No. Asgard. It's it's where yeah, Tor comes Thor. from. Thor to the common man. Yeah. Tor <laughs> yeah. to the Norwegians. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, that's I do appreciate that. I do appreciate how Bruce can be responsive when needed. And Mike Terrell can be responsive when needed uh-huh i mean there's a lot of if you want to really get started on but on you, you do understand rules, that we have a thing called the amateur sports act i don't care about amateurs no no, no, no i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm strictly speaking about why it is that the naa has all of the stuff that it's got they yeah. got to conform to so much stuff see all the bureaucracy the bureaucracy i don't like it well, just like i don't like it in our government I don't like it in sports. Well, I'm not. I'm, Politics suck. Uh, you're not going to get an argument here on that subject. But, so. you know, these things exist for a reason, though. You wouldn't want World Archery doing willy-nilly changes when it has a big impact potentially on. I mean, let's say that you. No, I only want them to make changes when they benefit me. Okay. Well, at least you're honest. <laughs> at least you're honest. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing some people, you know, making complaints about some things. And, and you know why they're doing it, but they're not being honest about it. Yeah. Now, truthfully, so. I want changes to be made when it's for the better of the event or yeah. the sport. No, I, I, I'm kidding. Yeah. I know what you meant. So, but uh, yeah. So, um, well, we took 42 minutes till we got into anything meaningful. True, true. We could put in the show notes that skip ahead to 42 <laughs> if you want anything interesting. Yeah, sometimes it just takes a little bit. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, word. Your new word for the day is shunt. 
<laughs> in electronics, a shunt is a device which creates a low resistance path for electrical current to allow it to pass around another point in the circuit. And the origin of the term is in the verb to shunt, meaning to turn away or follow a different mm. path. Cool. So now you know. Well, you know what? I think the thing we could probably agree on is if things just stayed the same as they are right now, it wouldn't be so bad. The sport's in an all right place, I think. There are still the positives and negatives, but in general, the sport as we know it isn't terrible. You know, like we had a guy at lunch today, Clint, talking to us about how he thought the certain style of tournament was the most interesting to watch. I'm like, dude, I would watch that for like five minutes and then I would. Yeah. The novelty would wear out very yeah, quickly. Exactly. This, he was said, a, this is, this is how all archery should be. Yeah. An archery, a form of archery with pop-up targets. Yeah, He wanted to do like pop-up field archery and stuff like that. I'm like, man, it would be, it's, it's a nice novelty. novelty. It'd be fun once a year. It's a for novelty. Somebody, not me, but it's why the great outdoor games didn't succeed. Right. You know, they kept throwing in these carnival type, deals right yeah, and i would gladly watch people cut trees with snowmobile engines and stuff like that like that's what they did at the great outdoor games and it was cool one week a year yeah. in the middle of the summer when absolutely no other sports were going right. on right other than baseball and where else are you going to see somebody with a 200 horsepower chainsaw hmm i don't know right yeah see that's not I'm something you see every day no. so you're going to stop and you're going to look at that but you don't have to watch it every week i bet 200 horsepower chainsaw sales just plummeted when the great outdoor games <laughs> went out of commission i'll bet they're custom built <laughs> you can't just buy those at lowe's I'll, I'll bet you can't dang it i'll bet you can't i bet you wouldn't want to 800 cc snowmobile engine oh my word i don't think yeah that that would, alone would be a what, 150 pounds minimum I don't know. Water cool? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know the whole specs on them. I just remember, I think it was. Gnarly. Yeah. Maybe they were, you know, smaller, like 440s or something. But. Yeah. Gnarly. I, I did the announcing at a great outdoor games archery event once. Really? Yeah. I really liked watching the dogs retrieve the thing, you know. Yeah. They would, they would throw out like four or five, uh, you know, retrieve yeah. decoys. Yeah. And then the dog the dive, would dive off a Dive off a dock into the water and go after the thing. Yeah, and the handler would signal them like, "No, you're." They'd be like yelling at me like, "Hey, you're twenty feet too far." But the dog probably knew it better than you and I would. Right, right. So yeah, yeah. And cool. and the other one, the the shooting sports aspect of it, you know, the the bang bang shooting sports, the, uh -huh. or the pew pew, as we like to say, the that aspect of it was uh, was good. You see guys like Doug Koenig, you know, doing their thing, and uh, and you go, "Darn, they're good." You know, yeah. some of the really good guys shooting trees and stuff all sorts like of that. stuff. Yeah. Dueling trees. Yeah. You know? Some of those guys were really good at that. But they had uh, a, a version of kind of like five stand of sporting clays. Right. And I, I didn't really like it. There was like, oh, shoot this target in this hula hoop and it's this many points. But again, carnival games. Yeah. You can only watch that stuff for so long. Right. So, you know, I, I, I don't think archery is broken. I don't think the, the rounds we have are broken. No. You know. Um, it's always room for improvement. Yeah. Usually in the presentation. You yeah. know, I said to Bruce after Vegas, I said, dude, you got to be. I said, just go like at, uh, we may have talked about this in one of the previous podcasts. I said. I think we did. Yeah. You got to just, if that's an obvious 30, go call it an obvious 30 and move on. If there's right. one that's close, bring in the judges. And it, it took it, us it, 20 this minutes. Is, this is not meant to be critical of. No. Of anybody. But, 
you know, clearly common sense needs to prevail here. Now I get it. No, okay. but that was, see, that was bureaucracy. They wanted the three judges. They wanted the three uh, heads of the judging government to check each and every arrow and confirm them. They and it want just stood in the way of progress. They want the result to be beyond reproach, which I get. I mm -hmm. understand that when you got 50 something thousand dollars plus another yeah. potentially $50,000 worth of contingency on hand. But you know what? in golf matches or tennis matches or other matches where they have millions, millions of dollars at stake, they got one umpire, yeah. you know, and he's usually I, not next to the guy. Right. So, so, I mean, come on, you know? Yeah. I mean, we're all out there. If there's an arrow that we think is close, we can point at it. That's the point. The that archers one. are going to be the first ones to tell you if it's in or out. And then you bring in the three officials. That's the beauty of, a lot of archery tournaments, they don't, you can bring in 800, a thousand people and you don't need a whole lot of people to run them. Right. Right. How many people were in Asia cup? Well, uh, the thing is they had a world archery judge there for every team round participant. Yeah. So you do need for team rounds. You need a lot of judges but, or people who know what they're doing. Yeah. You could have, you know, 30 judges maybe, That'd be probably excessive. But as far as the number of people actually running the event, I would say it's it was like a five or six. Yeah, probably five yeah. or six. Yeah. They can cover a thousand people. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's going to be some setup and take Whatever. Anyhow, I don't even know how we got to where we're at now. But yeah, there's a lot of self policing and self operation within archery, and, and the archers and the participants do a pretty good job of it. Absolutely. So and it's one of the things that, um, I think is one of the charming aspects of our sport is that sense of fair play and, and generally the fact that you can trust people to at least do the right thing. Right. You know, usually, so, usually. <laughs> so, you know, I thought of another use of the term shunt. You've been over here thinking about that, huh? Well, just a little bit, you know, it goes back to your experience at the tournament. I know what you're thinking. Uh -huh. We should shunt this podcast. No. Oh. But, you know, <laughs> since it means turning away or following a different path, uh -huh. you'd be you'd have been in the shoot-off if your arrow had not been, been shunted shunt. into the five ring. Golly. And now you know how to use that term <sighs> in a meaningful way. Yeah. That is not electrical in nature. And I will use it. 